0: Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, June 5th, 2023. I'm Lou DeVizio. This week on the podcast, we're getting reaction to Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller's State of the City Address and my interview with him afterwards. If you haven't had the chance, you can listen back to the entire 44-minute conversation right here on the podcast. We cover topics like homelessness, affordable housing, policing, public safety, economic development, stadiums, and the mayor's potential run for re-election. In about five minutes here on the podcast, we'll get reaction from a special line opinion panel with expertise in all of those areas. But for now, let's get to the headlines around New Mexico. Mexico Attorney General Raul Torres and the State Environment Department are suing PFAS manufacturers over environmental cleanups and monitoring programs caused by those chemicals. Torres says the 21 companies named in the lawsuit have contributed to environmental contamination in New Mexico through their production and distribution of those so-called forever chemicals. That's despite those companies knowing for decades that PFAS pose significant risks to human health. PFAS have been linked to cancer and other health problems in humans. They're called forever chemicals because they don't degrade in the environment and they remain in the bloodstream. They're found in a variety of products, including firefighting foam and nonstick cookware. Environmental regulators with the state say they're concerned about the compounds contaminating aquifers in a state where four in five people use groundwater in their homes. Other states like Rhode Island and California have recently filed similar lawsuits against major chemical manufacturers, including 3M and Dupont, accusing the companies of covering up the harm PFAS have caused the environment and public health. This is something Hourland's Laura Paskus has covered extensively here at NMPBS. You can sign up for the Hourland newsletter on NMPBS.org. For the next 20 years, Chaco Culture, Natural Historical Park, and 10 miles surrounding it won't be eligible for new oil and gas leases. The order from Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland applies to public lands and associated mineral rights within a 10-mile radius of the park. Late last week, the All-Pueblo Board of Governors announced their support for the decision, applauding Secretary Holland for her, quote, "...thorough and careful analysis before completing this withdrawal, listening to and elevating tribal voices throughout the process. Their work will leave an invaluable mark on this sacred landscape." End quote. But leadership at the Navajo Nation isn't as pleased, saying the decision could cost the tribe millions of dollars in annual oil and gas revenues. The Navajo Nation completed its own study last year and advocated for a smaller area to be protected. New Mexico and Focus correspondent Antonia Gonzalez is gathering reaction from tribes around the state. Keep an eye out for her story in the next few weeks. The U.S. Supreme Court has issued a decision that could have wide-ranging impacts for waters around New Mexico. In the case Sackett versus the EPA, the High Court found the Clean Water Act only applies to wetlands that are directly connected to permanent bodies of water. That matters here in New Mexico because about 95% of our streams are classified as fragmented or intermittent. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham criticized the decision, saying it weakens the Clean Water Act and puts many of New Mexico's rivers and streams at risk. Lujan Grisham says her administration will study how state law could fill any regulatory gaps created by the Supreme Court ruling. According to state police, a run-in in Albuquerque led to the deadly shootout that killed three people and injured five others in Red River over the Memorial Day weekend. Police say the three men killed in Saturday's shooting were all members of rival motorcycle gangs, the Banditos and the Water Dogs. Three other bikers are facing charges, including an open count of murder for one of them. The shooting happened at the 41st annual Red River Memorial Motorcycle Rally. State Police Chief Tim Johnson says the confrontation started in Albuquerque with an argument over a photograph. That picture showed the leader of the Water Dogs speaking with three men, at least one of whom is a member of a key rival of the Banditos. Johnson says the argument escalated in Red River. It's the second mass shooting in the state in less than two weeks after authorities say a teenager in Farmington fatally shot three people and wounded six others before police shot and killed him. Failed Republican candidate for the State House, Solomon Peña is facing an election interference charge after prosecutors say he and others conspired to shoot up local politicians' homes several months ago. Federal prosecutors charge Peña and his two alleged accomplices with conspiracy, interference with federally protected activities, fentanyl possession, and three counts of using a firearm in a violent crime. Police arrested all three men earlier this year in connection with a series of drive-by shootings at the homes of four Democratic politicians, Bernalillo County Commissioners Adrienne Barboa and Debbie O'Malley, State House Speaker Javier Martinez, and State Senator Linda Lopez. Nobody was hit in the shootings, but some of the bullets were fired into the bedroom of Lopez's 10-year-old daughter. According to reporting in the Albuquerque Journal, Peña routinely texted his accomplices, including one message reading, quote, "...it is our duty as statesmen and patriots to stop the oligarchs from taking over our country." End quote. Peña is being held at the Metropolitan Detention Center. In our first segment, our special line opinion panel reacts to the first portion of my interview with Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller on homelessness and affordable housing. Joining Gene at the table are Tom Grover, an attorney and former Albuquerque police sergeant, Lance Senna, a policy director at the Center for Civic Policy and a former Albuquerque City Councilor, and UNM Law professor and president of the housing assistance nonprofit Amparo, Serge Martinez. Here's Gene.
1: Now, affordable housing and homelessness were two key issue areas we wanted to get at right away with Mayor Tim Keller. He says you can't talk about one without talking about the other, and that a lot of cities. Around the U.S. are being, quote, swallowed by these problems. Albuquerque, on the other hand, has, quote, a fighting chance. Now, according to the mayor, of course, that's his language. Now, Ms. Senna, when you consider the state of homelessness in the city, is Albuquerque overwhelmed, Counselor? Is the mayor right here, or should we be thinking about this in another way?
2: I think when it comes to our folks that are unsheltered and homeless, Mm -hmm. I think he's right in trying to speak to both issues. We have those that are facing precariousness and uncertainty in their own housing as rent is increasing. We Mm -hmm. saw in the state legislature report more recently released about how many of our uh, community members within our state of New Mexico are facing these issues Mm -hmm. of inability to afford rent. Um, looking for housing and availability of housing. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the population of our unsheltered That's an issue that we've long faced even as the inception of our city. That's
1: so. right. I can get Serge you to pick up on that I'm glad uh, Councilor Senna mentioned that that study of statewide we concentrate so much on the housing issues here in Albuquerque How did that hit you when you see the statewide homeless problem here and the need that we
3: have? I mean, it's I wish I could say it was surprising. It's, yeah. it's dispiriting obviously and It is, you know, it's sobering to be reminded. It's not just in our biggest cities Mm -hmm. uh, that we're having these issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Albuquerque, every place in, New Mexico is gonna be different, but Albuquerque, a place that has more resources than any other place, really does need to lead the way and provide some sort of, you know, example or a model that we can maybe try to export to other places, taking Mm -hmm. into account, of course, Mm -hmm. local variations. That's
1: right. Tom, by the way, good to see you. It's been a few years since you've been to the table. Really appreciate you being here. Let's go back to the mayor here. We've covered the city council's flip-flopping, of course, on the safe outdoor spaces. The mayor's most recently called that 10 cities during his speech. Now, during our interview, however, Mr. Keller says, quote, they're not really feasible to the scale that was intended, end quote. You know, city ordinances, restrictions, things like that. Is the mayor flip-flopping on this issue, too? How do you hear this? I mean, he was so strong on this idea of safe outdoor spaces, and I hear a lot of reverse gear here. How did you hear this?
4: Well, I, I think he's pivoting. As to where his message is resonating most, and so right. the safe outdoor spaces clearly was a flop, and you know he received widespread objection to it. So he's trying to pivot and find something else that may resonate. The consequences of that pivot, though, are, for instance, the Coronado, you know, former residents' lawsuit against the city, which is not almost wrapping up. It's actually just getting in the heat of things.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why is that so? I'm curious. As you say that. Because that's what
4: the, course, the court docket shows. I mean, the city tried to get the case dismissed and that was summarily denied a week ago. Right. So when the mayor said that it's almost wrapping up, no, it's almost really getting going
1: as the more accurate representation. That's an interesting of point. It. Glad you picked up on that. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, Council, the mayor wants the Gateway Center to be a hub for people, as we know, who need housing and mental health services, but getting it up and running has been... Bumpy, including asbestos in the building that led to an ongoing OSHA investigation, as we know. Is the mayor putting too much stock in this gateway situation as a, as a solution here? How, how should we be considering this, his view of it versus our view of it? What's your view of it?
2: I think in terms of my view, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a means to address one issue. I mm-hmm. think that the need for community is so profound, and we're definitely seeing this As the Center for Civic Policy, the table for um, a lot of our C3s and our nonprofits, we exist because people are falling through the gaps that government is, you know, allowing. And so to address these inequities, our nonprofits have to exist until our government can provide services to our community in the most equitable manner to address all of our community's needs. So until those things really get addressed, that's why we exist. And so we're seeing as nonprofits, whether it's member-based services or through policy, we're having to still address the needs of our communities, whether that's direct services or again through policy change and showing and highlighting these gaps that continue. So I think, you know, it's one avenue to address the need, but we're seeing that the need continues to grow and we have to find a solution where we can do both at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, would. Pivot here, early next month, council's going to decide whether to approve a zoning change to accommodate more affordable housing. So far, council has not really been on board with a lot of things when it comes to protecting tenants and things. I'm being ironic here. Of course, you know this, following this. Um, is building up instead of out the right philosophy for Albuquerque? Is that is that where we should be headed? I think so.
3: Yeah. I think density is this, a well-understood and proven response to, you know, lack of housing and, right. and lack of more land to build it on, right? We really need to just come to grips with the fact that as the city is growing, it's going to have to change. Mm-hmm. And I think density allows for more people to live in you know, the same amount of space, but also allows us to concentrate services, you know, access to right. transportation and oh, yeah. whatnot in a way that we've seen it around the world. Right? Albuquerque is growing up and it's, it's great. Uh, in many, many ways, some people will say, "Oh, I remember back when and mm-hmm. i that is there 's nothing wrong with those that those memories, but we can 't let that stand in the way of saying it 's time to change mm-hmm. and and density really is a great way to do that. I think it 's something that we need more of and should have been thinking about sooner but mm-hmm. You know the de- the desert seems endless. That's I get right. that, but um, right. yeah. the the city will be more vibrant. We'll have more more ability to house more people and more affordably if we uh, have a different vision of what the city will look like. Mm-hmm. Tom, I, you know zoning. Uh, go ahead, councillor. You had a point there. Yeah,
2: I just want to think through. I mean, my my former council district, and you know, being able to serve District One, the west side, and seeing through our work through the Center for Civic Policy on redistricting, we saw that a quarter of the city council on the West side had to shed population. That's how fast the West side was growing. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to think through both things. I mean, truly, if we think about, you know, as the mayor is always talking about one Albuquerque, we have to treat it as one Albuquerque. We have to think of both the growth and what we're seeing already in trends and through the census, that's 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw the most population loss within district eight and district six. So, what can we do to address both? Can we both grow upward? And, you know, we're already seeing growth outwards. And even parts of my old council district, it predates the city. And yet they just got basic infrastructure like access to clean water. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to address it as a one Albuquerque issue and thinking of how do we do both?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a key point. Uh, Tom, you know, It's hard to predict council, (laughs) looking at city council, what they're going to do. But recent past, there's a story. They're not inclined to be helping, you know, uh, uh, in March, council voted in favor of landlords when they struck down that ordinance that would have forced them to disclose fees. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, A man here was part of that fight. Last summer, you might remember, they voted to ban Section 8 discrimination, a move that helped those who received federal financial aid. This idea of, of building up, is council ready? TO HEAR THAT MESSAGE.
4: I, I THINK WHAT YOU'RE SEEING IS THEIR RESPONSE TO ISSUES THAT HAVE REALLY NEVER BEEN BEFORE COUNCIL THAT ARE OF SUCH significance AND mm-hmm. importance. Um, HAVING BEEN A LANDLORD, mm-hmm. YOU KNOW, I WAS SENSITIVE TO THE ISSUE INVOLVING, YOU KNOW, INCOME DISCRIMINATION AND I CERTAINLY HAD RESIDENTS THAT HAD PUBLIC VOUCHERS IN SECTION 8 AND THAT WAS GREAT. THEY WERE, they were GOOD FOLKS. Yeah. But I, I think there are occasions where it's okay to discriminate against income. For instance, you don't want a criminal that's running a criminal enterprise and paying rent through the profits of that criminal enterprise. Um, and at where we are now with income, um, the public vouchers simply aren't competitive enough in terms of what the rents are. So they're deficient mm-hmm. in terms of what they what they can pay for the rents that are out there, unfortunately.
1: And add to that, when we KICK the surge over here, this. Thirty percent increase in rents over the last little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Now the mayor, to his to his defense, I, sh- I should say, it's a market thing. No mayor can wave a magic wand and be, you know, yep. part of this solution. But can government be part of this solution yes. here? Yes,
3: one hundred percent. Right. I think we have to stop saying, "Oh, the market, the market, the market." The the market has absolutely failed us mm-hmm. in this respect because housing is not a commodity, right? Housing is a good that everybody needs. It's a public right. good, That's we all right. benefit from having it. And I think we need to, to address that mm-hmm. in a way that says, you know, we all benefit from people being stably housed and the city, yeah, I understand we don't have you know, endless resources, but mm-hmm. the return on investment from creating you know, more housing and mm-hmm. you know, social housing that is, that is not done with a profit motive, right? we might, public housing would be included in that, but there are other ways to do that. Should not be this dirty word that we talk about. It's really a great solution and a way to ease some of the pressures on the market and, you know, provide for some of the people who have the hardest time accessing the market. Mm -hmm. That said, Mm -hmm. you know, We we start that today and the first buildings will be ready, who knows how far in the future. So it's not an immediate solution, but it is a long-term vision that I think this and other cities need to start saying, we can do this. We can start this.
1: Mm -hmm. 20 quick seconds, counselor, if you could, is there a danger of historic neighborhoods here, this rush to build more housing? You know, you represented a district that had historic, you know, parts of the city. Is that a danger?
2: well i think that we have to think through what it looks like right now for our mm-hmm. communities and historically and think through the past as well i mean if we never changed we would still have redlining which we still technically do right That's we have right. racist covenants that still prohibit asian americans pacific islanders from uh living yep. on the property and, and the language says it in itself just unless you're an indentured servant yep. so you know we still have troubling languages in neighborhood covenants that if they're not ready to change, you know, we have to apply government pressure. And I think you know the saying that if all men were angels, then government wouldn't be necessary. That's so I think that, you know, we have to think and adapt through that and really look at what the need is for our communities now while trying to respect you know, our history. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll have to find a medium to do both, Mm -hmm. um, but still include all of our communities, not just those that participate in like our neighborhood associations, but really think through about who's being left out of these conversations. points
0: there. Public safety and policing are a major issue for people around Albuquerque. In his State of the City speech, the mayor cited crime statistics that showed a drop in overall crime. But the fact remains that Albuquerque saw a record number of both murders and police shootings in 2022. So, how should we measure progress on crime in Albuquerque? Let's throw things back to Gene and the panel.
1: Welcome back to our Line of Opinion panelists. Last year, Albuquerque saw 121 homicides. That's a record. And it's more than doubled the city's long-standing average of about 50 murders. Now, as you just saw, the mayor pointed out three main contributors in his view, drug addiction, domestic violence, and easy access to guns. Tom, let me start with you. Is that nexus of why so many people are being killed here, has the Keller administration done enough to address those root causes of those three things?
4: I I, I think he entirely oversimplified the issue because Albuquerque's always had those issues True. for the West. So guns, yep. drugs, and domestic violence are, are part and parcel, unfortunately, for the city. Mm-hmm. I think the other component that really has been the accelerant mm-hmm. is that there's a lack of guardrails that sort of contain the impulsive violent behavior from out there because sure. there's no presence of policing out there. There's no presence of authority, and without those guardrails, right. YOU KNOW, THE NOTION THAT I CAN DO SOMETHING AND NOT GET CAUGHT OR AT LEAST FACE IMMEDIATE CONSEQUENCES IS REMOVED. Mm -hmm. AND THE CONSEQUENCES THAT WE'RE SEEING IS THE ABSOLUTE,
1: YOU KNOW, gross uh, GROWTH OF uh, HOMICIDE OVER THE LAST THREE YEARS. RIGHT. IS IT YOUR SENSE, WE JUST HAD A BIG MARCH AT WEST MESA HIGH SCHOOL LAST SATURDAY. THERE'S BEEN LOTS OF CALLS, THAT GUN VIOLENCE, PEOPLE ARE JUST SICK OF IT. KIDS, TEACHERS, ADMINISTRATORS. IS THERE SOMETHING BUILDING IN ALBUQUERQUE IN YOUR VIEW AS AN EX-POLICE OFFICER? You've been on the street, you've seen people suffer consequences of this. Have we turned a tide here and what we expect in our city? I
4: don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, guns, unfortunately, for better or for worse, are part of the culture here. And I'm not but certainly excusing negligent use of firearms mm-hmm. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a degree of amplification where, People have have an avenue to express themselves and express objection to things in a way that they weren't able to do before, whether it's through social media or some sort of networking so that you're seeing more of these mass demonstrations or protests or you know walkouts yeah. so I think that's that's reflective of that I don't know if we've turned the corner um, I, I I kind of maintain a rather cynical view that for better or for worse our country has the Second Amendment which you know Australia and New Zealand don't have and so THAT ISSUE IS SORT OF ALREADY GONE UNLESS THEY'RE GOING TO GO DOWN THE APPEAL OF a CONSTITUTIONAL it's REVIEW. IT'S ALL CONNECTED,
1: ISN'T IT? IT REALLY IS. INTERESTING THERE. Uh, COUNCIL SENATOR, THE MAYOR'S PLAN TO TURN DOWNTOWN INTO A SCHOOL-ADJACENT gun-free ZONE IS PROBABLY GOING TO RAISE SOME EYEBROWS CONSIDERING WE HAD AN UNFORTUNATE SHOOTING JUST A FEW NIGHTS AGO WHERE A WOMAN POPPED OFF A SHOT AT A BOYFRIEND OR A HUSBAND AND ENDED UP HITTING A VENDOR DOWNTOWN. Uh, I'm I'm curious how that struck you. You dealt with uh, gun violence, of course, in your own district when you were representing. How does that hit you for downtown as an idea?
2: I mean, using downtown as a pilot project for this is interesting. However, Mm -hmm. I mean, throughout Albuquerque, we're all feeling the impacts of gun violence and crime. Um, And so I think that, you know, having to see it at such a small population or a pilot program Mm -hmm. when so many of our communities are feeling this and feeling it in different ways because of where we live. I think, as he was saying, we have to address the root of the cause, and I don't know if that's specifically addressing the root of the cause.
1: Right. Is is a family, a lot of folks who come on the show, uh, like to make the point that family structure is part of the problem. If you don't have family structure, there's gonna be these issues with teenagers in the home. In your view, is that part of it as well?
2: I don't think so. I think more so about, you know, historical disinvestment into our communities as we experience both poverty um, issues and disinvestment, historical disinvestment, which I saw in my former council district and throughout uh, Albuquerque, you know, when, especially through the pandemic, having exacerbated a lot of these issues and heightened the the stressors on our communities when they're facing poverty. Mm-hmm. That's really thinking about the root of the issue is historical disinvestment and some of the barriers and inequities right. that these families have been facing to really truly address some of their needs. So being able to really truly meet the needs of our communities and uplifting them and addressing these inequities, mm-hmm. we'll continue to see a lot of this um, you know, frustration, amplification of whether it's uh, violence, through domestic violence and some of these issues, or even sexual abuse. Right. So I think that you know, um, having to address some of those key issues first and thinking through that, that's mm-hmm. really how we bring our families and communities that's together.
1: You. Uh, Surge, the mayor, uh, Quick to talk about overall decreases in violent and property crimes, but he did concede that this is a perception issue. If people don't feel safe, they're not safe. Yeah. Does he have an avenue there? Do, can we actually feel safe in Albuquerque over the next four years?
3: I mean, uh, <clears throat> everybody, I guess, has their own sense of what is you know what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel not safe, and I, yeah. I'm. I understand, you know, perception is reality, often, but in this case, I think we should push back against that and really look at actual data, actual, mm. you know, what's going on and right. where it's happening, right. um, because, you know, there's a difference between actual feeling unsafe and pearl clutching uh, that sometimes happens uh, when we, you know, when we hear about things that happen in parts of the city that are nowhere near us or mm-hmm. or things that are not, you know, really going to affect the, you know. Our community, our demographic, uh, in in the way that uh, that it can be, you know, amplified in media and whatnot. But you know, I mean, obviously, feeling safe is an important thing, sure. and uh, we talk about you know downtown and you know revitalizing right. it in a way that I know a lot of you know a lot of people say they don't like going downtown because of mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z reasons, and mm-hmm. I'd like to see that changed. But I do think safety is well. I don't you know want to you know, discount the emotional feeling aspect of it, but mm-hmm. there's also a reality that we can look at and talk about and and really that's what should be addressed right. is the actual underlying data. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting point there. Tom, got to talk about um, the ongoing DOJ-mandated reform effort. Got to get there. Uh, been nine years. It's interesting to think about that, right? Uh, it's cost us over 10 million, as you know, for the monitoring team alone. How has the Keller team, how has Mayor Keller approached this process to you? A uh, bit of a different tune here now that we're at this point, but a different tune maybe even a year or two years ago about this process. What's your take on it?
4: I this? mean, there was another pivot. He, he said in the interview that when he came in, his first approach was essentially satisfy Dr. Ginger's, you know, check every box as needed right. and get that done. And then he ascertained that, well, that wasn't sufficient because even though the scores were still going up in terms of compliance, for whatever reason, he didn't feel there was a sufficient progress. And so they tried this other, we'll take ownership of our actions um, policy, which Mm -hmm. I I don't necessarily agree with, given I talk to officers and supervisors on almost a daily basis about what's really going on behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. And that's what what I'm told is not consistent with what the mayor's representation was. What's been
1: the biggest gap that you're hearing, without naming any names certainly,
4: I mean, when it comes to actual sufficient process, when it comes to actual um, cr- responding to crime, when it comes to actual training, it's like there's just been sort of this this perception gap between what is actually happening and what DOJ is seeing. And I think, as a consequence, if in fact DOJ does sort of withdraw, mm-hmm. I think the, unfortunately the department is setting itself for a very, very difficult transition period because it's gonna be like taking a soda can that's you know, sort of all shook up and under pressure mm-hmm. and DOJ withdraws and the cap comes off and it just fizzes out because with all the shootings that we had last year, I think that's reflective of what's happened with the training, which is the officers, you know, either don't use any force or they instantly go to deadly force right. and they don 't do anything in between mm-hmm. and without that sort of you know pressure coming down from them with DOJ or you know the various units that you know uh, enforce DOJ mandates, mm-hmm. they won't have um, They don't have that scrutiny, and who knows what's going to happen? Because we are dealing with an entirely different generation of officers
1: out there now. Oh, good. Last point there. Absolutely. And a reminder, guys, 18 officer uh, shootings last year for people. It's a lot of Mm -hmm. folks. Unbelievable.
0: For more information on the city's community safety department, we have articles linked in the description of this podcast, and you can listen to my full interview with the mayor where he gives a bit more detail on the work the department has done and the plans he has for its expansion. Now, back to the line as the panel reacts to my questions to the mayor on economic development around the city, namely, a plan to build high-speed internet infrastructure, the ambitious rail trail project, and stadiums. Here's Gene.
1: Since their first season in 2018, New Mexico United has captured the attention of soccer lovers and sports fans across the state, certainly. That fervor has its limits, however. In 2021, voters rejected a bond that would have funded a new soccer stadium for the team and delivered a major blow to an economic initiative that Mr. Keller was pushing. In our recent discussion with the mayor, he said plans for a new stadium are shifting to Balloon Fiesta Park and the city would not, not be the majority investor in that stadium. Now, Let me start with you. What happens next is up to the soccer club. All this to ask, should the mayor get his hopes up on a new stadium funded by United? Would the economic benefit be worth the potential headaches of interrupting Balloon Fiesta Park? I mean, there's some joking about high-powered lines there that (laughs) the balloon people are going to have to deal with. What's your initial reaction to this? Should the mayor be
3: the face of this is is probably my inside question here. I mean, look, I'm a big fan, Somos Unidos, but I think stadiums are almost never a good deal economically for the cities that they're in, right? right. Especially if the city ends up paying for it, right? Mm-hmm. They, there's all this talk about generating income and whatnot, but that's money that the people who live here would just have spent on something else. It's not new, people aren't gonna be flocking from out of state to come watch United games, although much as I wish that were different, sure. right? Um, and I think any sort of, um, you know, situation that has the city investing heavily in a stadium that's gonna be used not that often, Mm -hmm. not that regularly, and is not gonna bring, you know, the benefits that frequently get touted is a mistake. Like more power to United, build a stadium. That's great, build it yourself and don't make the city pay for it.
1: Yeah, Tom, you know, interestingly, the the play all along has been this retail attached to it. Certainly the developers wanna get in on that and kind of make some money outside these 17 home games a year, which is not gonna really do much for economic development here. But I ask again, is the mayor too much in front of this issue as the face of it? I mean, we think back to the time he stood on that pickup truck bed announcing this whole kickoff. Didn't work out. Is he stuck with this now? Is this his folly? Yeah, it's a a trophy
4: project that he wants to be able to look back on and say, I brought this soccer stadium to Albuquerque, and as Serge said, most of the time it sits there empty. I mean, the Mm -hmm. reality is if he approached the housing issue with such a public-private partnership momentum that he's putting in for the soccer stadium, mm-hmm. maybe he'd have something you know that would be more reflective of an accomplishment
1: rather than an empty stadium. Good point there, councilor. One of the city's next big projects, you know, is the rail trail. It came up a lot certainly during the uh, speech. A seven-mile loop, in case folks don't know, that would not connect nearby neighborhoods. Mr. Keller says the city has secured funding for four of the eight phases. There's a lot of phases here. Uh, work beginning this year surrounds, this idea has been around for a while. I'm I'm curious, is the mayor again putting too much into this as a fix for economic development here?
2: Well, I think it's just another shiny thing to go after. I think a lot of our communities have mixed reactions to it in terms of, you know, what are the needs and things that the community actually want. And right now, because we're facing so many of these issues of access to housing, access to food, um, and, um, more things relating to education, then I think it's kind of a mixed issue. Is this that thing that communities are asking for? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as the stadium issue too, um, when I was on council, the top concern that so many of my constituents and community members were voicing was like, look, we're facing so many of these issues. Let's think and reinvest into these areas. Let's invest into our youth and our communities and things that can really help our communities thrive, whether it's, accessible transit throughout the entire city, not just downtown and surrounding areas. So, you know, we have much of the west side that again lacks so much of these infrastructures, Mm -hmm. access to public transit. Um, I think bolstering a lot of that is what community has been asking for.
1: Yeah. Um, One more rail trail here in in terms of economic development. Some hope that the rail trail could put the city in more of a leadership role for taking care of the bosque and the Rio Grande. Is that a reasonable goal if this project uh, goes through?
3: Uh, I have to say, I'm not really sure yeah. that, that I can be confident on that, right? I mm-hmm. think, right, obviously, if more people are spending time on the trail and going through the bosque down by sure. the river, that would, I mean, I think it is criminal how in how little you know, we take advantage of that that river right here and that's the right. Bosque yeah, as that's right. you know, as a community. Every time I'm down there, I'm like, why are why are there? I'm delighted that there's not more crowds, but I'm wondering why there's not more crowds down there. So anything that would do that would be great. Um, you know, and I think this initiative sounds cool. But it is a question I think of also, you know, how does this fit with the other priorities that, right. that are facing the city?
1: In all those phases too, eight phases, is gonna take a long time. Yeah. And he clearly made the point after he's gone, someone's gonna to have to pick that up. Uh, Tom, now the stadium has been in the headlines after the city inspector general found Albuquerque's parks and rec department used taxpayer dollars for the gladiators stadium and turf project in Rio Rancho. And when our guy Lou asked Mr. Keller, uh, Mr. Keller blamed the pandemic saying, Tingley Coliseum became a vaccine facility. And that's, you know, blah, 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 that's why that happened. Um, (laughs) Any sense of any wrongdoing here or, you know, his answer made some sense. There was a move, you know, out of Tingley, they're gonna play up there, it's not permanent, but it did, the Inspector General had a different opinion about it. I I, I think the
4: mayor misrepresented the facts. I mean, the Gladiators last game at Tingley was in 2019 before the pandemic and the appropriations went to the legislature in 2021. SO, YOU KNOW, HIS REPRESENTATION THAT THIS WAS A CONSEQUENCE OF THE PANDEMIC IS NOT ACCURATE AT ALL.
1: WHAT DO YOU MAKE OF THE CITY'S LAWYERS SAY THE INSPECTOR GENERAL HAD NO RIGHT TO ISSUE A REPORT SAYING THEY LACKED THE LEGAL CREDENTIALS TO GIVE AN OPINION ON THE MATTER?
4: Uh, I THINK IT'S PRETTY CLEAR THIS ADMINISTRATION IS TOTALLY PHOBIC TO ANY TRANSPARENCY IN in ANY, WHETHER IT'S INTERNAL REVIEW OR EXTERNAL REVIEW, FOR THEM TO ATTACK THEIR OWN I.G. AND SOMEONE WHO IS INCREDIBLY WELL QUALIFIED IS A DISSERVICE TO THE IG. THAT
1: ONE TOOK ME BY SURPRISE AS WELL. TOM, KICK US OFF ON THIS ONE. I WOULD GET OPINIONS FROM THE ENTIRE TABLE ON THIS. THE MAYOR MENTIONED THE CITY HAS A CONTRACT, we to TALK ABOUT THAT, IN QUOTES, TO EXPAND HIGH-SPEED FIBER TO EVERY HOME IN ALBUQUERQUE. Just got TO BREATHE THAT IN FOR A SECOND. HIGH-SPEED FIBER TO EVERY HOME IN ALBUQUERQUE, WHEN YOU'RE TALKING IT'S A HALF MILLION A MILE TO DRAG FIBER SOMEWHERE? What did you make of that proposal? It,
4: it, it's, I, I think it's overreach, and it's something that we've heard from various city councillors and various administrations over the last, at least the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're probably in a better position to enjoy something from Starlink with Elon Musk's company rather than realizing fiber
1: optics locally. Right. Hopefully, better connection than that DeSantis thing they tried yesterday, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that was pretty funny. Um, I, you know, a, your ex district, a lot of those folks could use high speed fiber to the home. Maybe not a bad idea for certain parts of the city.
2: Right, but again, it's like the west side and much of the west side and just the growth and how much it's expanded. Mm -hmm. The fastest rate I can get at my home on the west side is 44 megabytes per, Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I'm sure folks will be reaching out and giving me some quotes, but that's the fastest I can access. And when it comes to the pandemic, really highlighted the inequities of access to the internet and more importantly, the information. So I think that the need has always been there. And this is something that we've been talking about through our state and as a nation and actually getting federal funds to build out some of this infrastructure. The need is there and has always been there. However, I think that again, we have to think through for the whole city Mm -hmm. um, and not just certain parts of the city, such as central um, downtown, right? Um, And so I think for surrounding areas and communities, it's something that we've been asking for for quite some time, especially myself. Um, But uh, it will be, you know, Scene. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, sorry, it's like the everlasting gobstopper of uh, Albuquerque. It, this this idea of getting connectivity to every home, mm-hmm. but no one ever talks about how much it's going to cost, mm-hmm. what the monthly fee is going to be, if there's going to be a break for low-income people. Right. I mean, nobody talks about these details. Right. Does this seem in
3: your gut? Does this seem viable,
1: doing something like this?
3: Uh, well. It sounds challenging yeah. and and, and the, everything that comes with it, I will say it'd be easier if we had a more density focused city. Mm. Um, but um, I will also say this is another one of those things that, you know, fiber optics may not be the answer, but we have to think of connectivity like Plumbing, right. like electricity, right? right? It's no longer this sort of add-on or luxury that people well, have. What you're saying is and someone
1: and in the government has to run it. If that's so, going to be that way, so, someone needs to make a profit the other way.
3: Right. So there may yeah. be the, that that may be the answer, right? right? Or some sort of some sort of yeah um, visionary approach to it that doesn't involve let's let's hope the private sector can solve this once again. Right. But I do think I mean I applaud this continued recognition and desire to make this a reality because mm-hmm. it's no longer optional to participate in, you know, American That's and right. global society. This is
1: not a new idea. You recall, uh, then city councilor, Eric Gregos wanted to have wireless to every home in the city and had a company lined up. They said they could do it, but then they figured out they couldn't do it. It's very hard to get connectivity right. around here. It's not an easy thing. Not a bad goal, but should our expectations be just reconfigured here, perhaps? I,
4: I think they need to, yeah, I think they need to modify the expectations and talk about implementing it in installments, Right. you know, and focusing on those areas of the city that are most need yeah. versus, you know, the northeast heights or that's the far right. northwest or things like that. Because
1: that's always how it goes. It rolls out for those folks first because yeah, they right. can afford it, and you build up that income, and then you start thinking about folks, how you flip that to difficulty. Thank you guys so much.
0: If you want more background on the Duke City Gladiators Stadium saga, I've linked the original reporting from KRQE in the description of this podcast. Finally, in the final segment of the line, Gene and the panel give their opinions on a proposal being considered by Albuquerque City Council that would send a measure to voters to restructure power at the top of the city, shifting many of the duties now under the mayor's purview to a council-appointed city manager.
1: Welcome back to our Line Opinion panelists. We wrapped up our interview series with Mayor Keller with a simple question. Are you going to run for a third term? His response, quote, that's certainly what I'm looking at right now, end quote. Should we be reading that as a firm yes, counselor? And does that color this year's State of the City Address as more of a campaign speech versus a State of the City
2: speech? what did you think of that? Mm. I thought it was interesting that the real focus was, um, you know, the promise of us, the stories of us Mm. and highlighting individual stories. And that's something that, you know, especially for the Center for Civic Policy and a lot of the work that we do, we really try to amplify Mm -hmm. um, people's stories to actually get policy change so this, this pivot um, to really more narratives of our communities and how policy impacts people is interesting. Um, although I think that, you know, it's still, I think, early to say that he's going to be running, you know, we have an election before us where a third of the council is about to, is not seeking re-election, So we're going to sure. see a lot of um, interesting dynamics for this November and the next coming elections. So mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of our focus at the Center for Civic Policy is really thinking through uh, and getting out the vote.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, State of the City addresses, we all know this, they're modeled after the presidential State of the Union in speeches. So we've got the State of the State by our governor. Right, you know, those are required by law, by their constitution. State of the City events, it costs a lot. It costs some money when you watched it. Again, same same question to the Councilor. Was that more of a campaign kickoff, or is this really a State of the City address that we're supposed to lean into? Here? It was a festival.
4: I mean, he, he markets it as a festival, and yeah. it's absolutely a platform for which he can launch his next campaign. Mm-hmm. And as so many other mayors before him have found out, becoming the mayor of Albuquerque is generally the last office you're going to hold. So unless he finds some opportunity in D.C., <laughs> yes. he has no other options but to pursue being a mayor. And whether. YOU KNOW, THAT WAS, YOU KNOW, HIS QUOTE-UNQUOTE INFORMAL ANNOUNCEMENT AT THE STATE OF THE CITY SPEECH OR, YOU KNOW, THE PANDEMIC BOOK THAT HE HAD THE CITY THROUGH HIS ONE ALBUQUERQUE FUND, YOU KNOW, LEVERAGE OUT, IT'S PRETTY CLEAR HE'S RUNNING FOR MAYOR. HE HAS NO OTHER OPTIONS. RIGHT.
1: Uh, SERGE, YOU KNOW, MR. KELLER FRAMED THE ARGUMENT FOR AND AGAINST, I'M GOING TO SWITCH TO THE STRONG MAYOR IN ALBUQUERQUE. Giving up freedom for, uh, of innovation and leadership for stability. And I'm going back to this idea that mm-hmm. council just uh, is discussing right now. They're going to d- talk about this uh, early June, whether to get it to the voters. Um, I'm interested in your takeaway on how the mayor reacted to this idea of the weak mayor proposal. Was he on the money here? I mean, he made some good points.
3: Well, I think he's overstating the stability that we might expect okay. from any sort of you know, group of politicians um, that are also going to be subject you know, to... To elections and voters, whatnot, but I mean, I, I do think um, you know his uh, response is one that I would expect from any mayor because this is, you know, the the council can, uh, and the folks who are pushing this can sort of, you know, clothe it any way they want and frame it how they want, but let's call it what it is. This is a bid for more power for the council Mm -hmm. to sideline the mayor, Mm -hmm. and you know, you don't like the mayor, so let's try to overhaul the entire political structure of uh, Albuquerque seems to be what's going, is what's going on here.
1: That this particular council does not like this particular mayor, which is why this is on the table now, you're thinking? That's what I think. That's yeah. my
3: take on this. Yeah. I mean, and that is no way to to run a city, right? To To think about how we structure our city, but setting that aside, right? It's an interesting question. You know, how should this be structured? This sure. is not, you know, inherent law of nature that you have to have a strong mayor and a, and a city council, point, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I personally would, I'd have to think about this a lot more and, and learn a little bit more about the, the, the pros and cons. But I do think, you know, the, the timing to me is not obvious to me that this is the moment where we need to do X, Y, or Z, but it is clear to me that this council does not like this mayor. And mm-hmm. this seems to be an obvious response to that. Interesting. I have to ask is our city councilor here at the table, uh,
1: um, Interested in your view on this. Uh, Is is there pros and cons that immediately jump out to you? Because the mayor made an interesting point to me. You know, an elected mayor is more accountable to the, you know, people vote for that person. Does that make sense?
2: I think it makes sense in terms of access to democracy and holding folks accountable. As the mayor was saying, you know, we've had former electeds who felt that they were only beholden to the Constitution and not to whether it's the the legislative body or To even their constituents. They just felt that it was the Constitution that they were following. Mm -hmm. So, you know We've seen adverse events um, through that process and I think right now we're at the cusp of Albuquerque really wanting to see a change in more representation when the City Council was formed back in 74 Um, That was before my existence. That was before even my mother arrived here in the city of Albuquerque. We were more of a commission, right? And we changed to a city council. And even then the population per council district was only 30,000. Now it's like 66,000. It's clear and evident that we need at least two more city council seats, actually on uh, the city council to have better representation for our constituents and our communities.
1: Do Do you see you have to have a change of map? Certainly, is there any particular districts or two that could downsize a little bit to accommodate? this do you
2: think? well through our work we've been really looking at more equitable lens to have a real reflection of our communities on council to have more communities of color actually represented on council I think by the time we redistrict again in 10 years things will change so you know to say that there's certain boundaries that we should have now it will be completely different in 10 years and and through census so we'll, we'll see
1: Good points there. Tom, Mr. Keller said his three priorities for the rest of his term are housing and the homeless, public safety and community development. And as the mayor looks ahead in pursuit of a third term, are those things he should be concentrating on or are there other issues, if you're going to run, that you should probably be talking about as opposed to things that happened in the past that may not look so great?
4: I mean, I think those are obviously the primary issues and the primary challenges that are facing the city and need to be addressed. But public safety has to be at the top of it right. because unless that's maintained and brought into a reality all the other things are going to be suffering from the consequences of having no public safety and i think the 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 mayor's posture on you know crime trends going down even you know incrementally mm-hmm. is completely fictitious mm-hmm. i mean there's just the data is not going to support it and they can produce whatever dra- graphs they have it's not going to be valid data until we start peeling it apart and if anyone doubts that just take a drive from san mateo up to louisiana on central on any evening and it's 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 just tragic what's going on
1: yeah it is it is unfortunate let's zoom out of guys a little bit and consider mr keller's time as mayor in the larger frame uh, Actually, I'm looking for a bit of a report card or even a letter, letter grade, and we can talk about this, but uh, Serge, let me start with you. We've got a little bit of history to look back on, of course. Mm-hmm. Now we have something to look forward to and that the mayor has announced on our air that he is, in fact, running for a third term. Mm-hmm. You can parse it first term, second term, whatever way you'd like it. Uh, has he earned a third term? Uh,
3: that is a... Big ask of me, right? here. I mean, frankly, I'm not. I am a firm believer in term limits. I think, uh-huh. right? And you may say, in this case, well, the pandemic, maybe we get a do-over, right? But I don't. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm willing to go there, right? And I think, you know, it's, it's true that a lot of things that happen need to percolate over time. Mm-hmm. And and you know, the mayor talked about wanting to be here when certain things, um, you know, come are finished or give fruit. Sure. But I think, you know. Term limits that are, are popular for a reason because we want to make sure that we have fresh ideas, new people that someone doesn't get too entrenched, right. too much power, too right. much you know identification as I am the government and whatnot. So. I'm actually, We've had that issue
1: in New Mexico a bunch you know, uh, years. Yeah, right. Yep. And so,
3: so, I mean, I would push back a little bit and say, should we have anybody having a third term? And I respect politicians who say, you know what, I've had my two terms, my eight years and I'm ready. I want to bow out. I'm not convinced that there's a need for anyone, you know, this mayor any other mayor mm-hmm. to, to, to go to a third term.
1: Interesting point there. I'm curious, a third term, is it viable for the city? Has he earned a third term? Uh, as opposed to just resting on his laurels, so to speak.
2: Well, I think that a lot of these issues that we faced, again, we're not talking about his run for his second term. This is a third term now. So we can't just say, well, there were so many issues that he was coming into, whether it was, you know, the art project Mm -hmm. or coming into the consent decree. Now, you know, he should be a a veteran Mm -hmm. um, at policy making and the 30,000 foot view of how we actually apply Mm -hmm. You know legislation what was interesting to me as he was talking about building back you know in a more equitable view and committing to our disinvested communities you know that part was interesting to me in in respect that you know that may not be under his purview that's the city council Um, they're the appropriations and and the purse of the city and how we view and they appropriate to our communities but i think that you know he has made a lot of progress from what we've seen and you know whether it was facing some of the historical disinvestments and creating a really thriving department uh, for um, the Office of Equity and Inclusion and actually holding and bringing in all of our communities to policy making and having a say so in it. How much should we
1: count that? That's a fairly major turn of events for city government. How should we accommodate that or reward that? Is it a big deal for the city that folks may not understand the full extent of it creating that department?
2: I believe so. And, you know, for for me and my communities, especially for our Asian American, Pacific Islander, Native Hawaiian communities, you know, a lot of our communities had been historically ignored. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we still need to reflect and look at more of some of these gaps. Again, Mm -hmm. you know, we would not exist as nonprofits if government did their jobs and provided equitable access. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's still a lot of issues to address, um, whether he has done and committed to all of his promises, whether it's the first or the second term, Mm -hmm. is, you know, I think arguable. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that a lot of this takes time. I am actually somewhat agreeable to Surge as well, where, you know, we need some innovation and sometimes we just need new folks. Mm -hmm. Um, So that part, You know i'm still on the fence with
1: fair enough absolutely Uh, i can't let you get out of here tom about talking about public safety and this idea of using civilians the mayor leaned on that pretty good in this speech and also here with our lou devizio as well it seems to me there's a bit of a lit fuse here meaning if things don't progress better using this civilian volunteer corps where does that leave the mayor and his ideas as an ex-apd sergeant how how does that hit you Uh
4: it, it, it validated and echoed what his posture has been from day one, which is in their own correspondences between each other, the mayor and the pro- former CAO, they were always talking about reimagining policing. Right. And you know this is what's happening with them, the civili- civilianiza- civilianization of the police department and the automization of policing with all the traffic cameras and they're, they're playing around the ideas of having… You said tech's
1: going to be a big part of the solution here. The mayor. Mm-hmm. And at the bottom
4: line, policing is always about government services to people in crisis and suppressing you know, the chaos so right. people can go about and enjoy their life, right? It, are, there, are there places for civilians and police departments? Absolutely, okay? Absolutely, police should be doing policing things. They shouldn't be doing administrative things. Right. Um, can tech support officers work? Absolutely. But, I mean, we've gone through the red light camera issues and the civilian fines before. And, you you know, when you've got to install security systems to monitor the cameras because they're getting vandalized by people, there's no officers responding to those vandalism calls. That sort of speaks for itself. And then real quick, as far as the mayor's third term, Mm -hmm. I, I think it's real simple. Are we better today than when we were before? Uh, when he started, and I think the answer is we are not better today, and he does not deserve a third term.
1: There you go. Report card grade for the mayor? What do you think? D-minus. There you go. Hey, it's tough being mayor in Albuquerque. Absolutely. It's a hard, <laughs> you know, we'll have to see how this goes. We were joking a little bit off air, if this week mayor proposal passes somehow, what does that do to the quality of candidates to either want to run for, run for mayor or run for city council as well? It's going to be very interesting. Thanks again to this wonderful panel as always for this week and for last week as well. Be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics, the line covered on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages, and catch any episode you might have missed on the PBS app, Your Roku, or Smart TV.
0: Thanks to everyone who contributed to the podcast this week. And as always, thank you for listening. If you haven't listened to my interview with the mayor yet, the entire uncut version is available in a previous episode on the podcast posted last week. You can also watch it online at nmpbs.org. Also, please keep an eye on our social media pages. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube throughout the week. We'll be posting updates and other news items leading up to our show on Friday night. Thanks again, everyone. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio from Monday, June 5th, 2023. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.